As you can tell, I'm not Pastor Jason. If you don't know who I am, I'm John Bechtel, the associate pastor here. And what, what is it associate pastor does? Well, basically, I am a big giant Robin to Jason's Batman. And that's what I do. I, um, if one of the things I found out too, and I, I don't know, this wasn't put in my job description, but I think this is the third Thanksgiving Sunday in a row I preached. Um, and I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. In fact, last Thanksgiving, I preached on Thanksgiving. I'm being thankful. And as I was uh, going through this week, I was reminded of that sermon and was just really encouraged by some of the things um, that are true about being thankful. It's, um, it's a wonderful discipline to have. You know what happens when you're thankful? When you're thankful, you realize that there's somebody bigger than you, somebody outside of your realm who's doing something on your behalf. So you have somebody to be thankful for. The other great thing about thank thankfulness is, is when we are thankful, our mind is filled with gratitude. And that doesn't allow sin to get in there. Thankfulness is a great tool we have in the process of becoming like Jesus. And so I hope and pray that you've been able to be thankful this week. And I've been thankful for many things, but I wanted to take uh, the time just to publicly express my gratitude for, uh, for, for two, uh, two groups of people in my life. The first people I'd like to thank are the elders of the church. Um, I don't think you folks realize what an encouragement is to Jason and I to have men who will stand shoulder to shoulder with us as we shepherd the flock. Um, I love these men. They make eldering a verb. They eld. And they eld well. And I'm very grateful uh, for them in, in, in my life. Not only in the life of the church, but in my life as well. And in their wisdom, they've encouraged me to, to take a sabbatical for the month of December. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Just want to let you know this will be a time for, for me personally to refocus on God and to, 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 think how, to consider how I can better serve this local body. It's going to be a time for me to relight the fire in my marriage. It's going to be a time for me to reconnect with my children. And um, so I will be going December 1st. Uh, to January 1st. I will not be here. Um, I promised to pray for you, and I'd covered your prayers during that time. And this is also the official warning. If you need anything from me, you have until Tuesday. <laughs> Otherwise, I will be off the grid. So I look forward uh, to seeing a whole bunch of you on Monday and Tuesday. Now, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I'm thankful for my wife. Um, I know it's not always easy being married to a pastor, and I, I, I know for a fact it's not always easy being married to me. Um, next week we're going to be celebrating 16 years of marriage. And, uh, yeah, I like to joke that we're in smack dab in the middle of marriage puberty, that awkward gangly stage. But that's where we are. And the amazing thing is every day Layla wakes up and she chooses me. And apart from Jesus, her love is the greatest gift I've ever received. I love you, Layla. It's great to be grateful, and I made it through that. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning there, before we read our text, I'd like to, uh, for us all to consider what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Is that up there? Let me read that. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You know, we leave that up there. Look at that first word, all. All Scripture is from God. And today, we're going to have an exercise in that. We're going to have an exercise in seeing that all Scripture is from God, that all Scripture is important, and that all Scripture is useful. We're about to read a very long list of names. And at first glance, you may be wondering, what in the world are we doing? This feels boring. What does this have to do with the Nativity story? But folks, there's a reason that Matthew decided to start here. There's a reason that, that, that people put Matthew as the first book in the New Testament. These words are God-breathed, and they are good and useful. So now that you've found your place, let's stand as we read God's Word, and let's read it expectantly, okay? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok. And Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Amen. Please be seated. Four hundred years. Four hundred years. That's a long, long time. Four hundred years ago, a guy named Galileo was discovering the moons of Jupiter. A guy named Shakespeare was writing some plays in England. And some people were just getting settled into a Jamestown settlement in Virginia. It's a long time ago. Well, this month we finished the book of Malachi, and we know that it had been 400 years since God's people had heard from him. 
Sure, God was, God was acting in history. He was present. But he was silent. There were no prophets. There were no kings. There was no word. Then, at the climax of history, God breaks in and changes everything. As John records that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, God's ultimate communication to humanity was about to begin. The world had heard from God. What's more, God had become man. Jesus had entered the world. And during his ministry on earth, what did he do? He called a ragtag group of people to himself who he would teach and he would train and he would love. And then he'd commission them to further his work when he left. A man named Matthew was one of these men. We don't know much about him, but we know he's a tax collector. And we know that that wasn't a good thing. You see, Rome, Rome had conquered Israel, and so they were taxing um, the people, and the money was being sent back to Rome. And the way they taxed people was to get people within the community to step up and say, I'll, I'll tax them. But the way those folks made their living was to, to add a little extra tax on top of it. So needless to say, we know that Matthew isn't necessarily concerned about his people. And probably he's not concerned about much, except gaining more wealth and gaining more property. So he's living his life, and then along comes this carpenter from Galilee. And he calls him out, and as usual, his life was changed forever. He walked with Jesus through his ministry. He watched Jesus die on the cross. He saw the risen Lord. He watched him ascend into heaven. And then he preached about Jesus to the ends of the earth until the day he died. And along the way, he chose to write an account about the life of Jesus. And he starts his most important work, an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, with a genealogy. Now, why would he do this? Why is this so important? Why would he choose to start the book in this way? To answer that, we need to understand what, how genealogies functioned uh, during that time. This is important. Genealogies were important. I just want to say that. They're important for a lot of reasons, but, but really they're, they're important because they establish your legal standing. By showing where you came from, you were showing who you rightfully were, so you established your title. But not only that, but you also established what was rightfully yours. So you established what was your property. But then you also established what was going to come to you. You established your inheritance. So in this oral culture, this was a big deal. Who you were, where you came from, set, showed what, who you were, what belonged to you, and what you had coming to you. So really, it's a great place to start. Matthew begins his account by establishing the royal heritage of Jesus. In so, in so doing, he not only established who Jesus is, but he establishes what rightfully belongs to him. But, but more than this, this genealogy points to God himself how God is acting and moving in history, and how he is on mission in the world. And in the end, we're going to see that it even speaks to us. It speaks to us as, his followers, as followers of Jesus. So that's the basic outline for today. We're going to be looking at how this genealogy of Jesus points first to the big picture, to God's work in the world, to Jesus and his rightful claim as Lord and Savior of the world, and then finally to us in light of who Jesus is. So let's jump in and begin with the big picture. How does this genealogy point us to God's mission in the world? Well, look at verse 1. 
verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see that word genealogy there? It's kind of hard to translate, but the word literally is Genesis. It's the beginning, the start of Jesus. Now, when people in Matthew's time heard this, they would have immediately thought of what? The book of Genesis. And actually the same language is used at the beginning of creation and at the beginning of mankind. The same language is used. Look at Genesis 2.4. These are the generations of the heavens of earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. These are the generations. That's the Genesis. This is the beginning. So there was a beginning to the world. But then look at Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Generations, that's the same thing. This is the beginning of mankind, of, of Adam. This is the beginning. So when Matthew starts with the genealogy, the Genesis, people immediately think of Genesis. Genesis is a story of one beginning, the creation of the world and the foundation of a right relationship between God and his people. But now Matthew is a story of a new beginning. The arrival of Jesus and the restoration of right relationship between God and his people. You see what this is saying? It's a new beginning. In essence, God is hitting the restart button. Restart button. What, what, what's going on here? Simply put, God is in the process of making all things new. It's what God does. He makes things new. He makes things right. He makes things the way they're supposed to be. We see it at the beginning of the world. He makes the world and mankind and it was good. We see it in this climax of history when Jesus crashes into the world and he provides a new and ultimate escape for humanity at the ultimate cost of himself. And we see it at the end of time when God himself declares in Revelation 21.5 And he was seated in the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God himself is in the process of making all things new. He is making things right. He's making things the way they're supposed to be. Let me step out of the text right here. That's our God. That's his business. That's what he does. He's worked throughout history, throughout the course of the world, to make things new. And you know what he's doing? He's working it out in your life right now right here today. You see, God has given each of us a gift of new life through Jesus. And sure, that's a gift we get, to, we get one time. But the amazing thing is we get to open that every day. God is about making things new. And this genealogy points us to that truth. So be encouraged. But let's look at one other thing I want you to notice about God's mission. Remember Revelation 21.5? You see the second part of that verse? He said, write this down. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. You see, God's mission is not going to be stopped. 
It's at the end of time. He said, he said write it down. It's going to happen. It will happen. His plan will not be thwarted. And look, we see it in the genealogy itself. God can and does work through anything and anybody. He works through heroes. He works through villains. He works through cowards. He works through champions. He works through our obedience. And he works in spite of our sin. Look at the first, just look at the first part of the genealogy. We start off with Abraham, right? Abraham was the father of the nation. Do you know what Abraham did? He went to Egypt, and Pharaoh said, who's that? It was his wife. And Abraham said, it's my sister. You can have her. Men, can you imagine your wife coming home after that? That's the, that's the father of the nation of Israel doing something crazy. Then you skip on down a little bit further, and who do we see? We see Jacob. Well, Jacob was just a mama's boy who stole a birthright, right? And then he was so messed up, he played favorites with his family and totally messed them up. Then his son Judah, what does he do? He sells his, his brother into slavery. And then later on, he, he consorts with a prostitute as an older man, and the prostitute turns out to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who tricked him into conceiving a child. See how God works through everything? Then we have Rahab. She was a prostitute. And then we have Ruth. Ruth was a hated foreigner. You think, okay, what does that mean? She was a Moabite. So you know what happened if, if somebody married a Moabite person? It would take ten generations until you were allowed to enter the temple. And here's a Moabitess in the lineage of, um, of Jesus. And if you're wondering, that's why we have Ruth on the cover. Just wanted to point that out. We're being frugal, but we figured since she's in the, in the, in the genealogy, we could use it. Uh, don't tell Jeremy Keller. And then finally we end with King David, a man after God's own heart. But a man we also all know was an adulterer and a murderer. And folks, that's just the first section. That's just the first section. God can work through any person, anything, in any situation, and any problem. But not only can he work, but he's going to do it. Look at Genesis 12.3. Let's put that up. Genesis 12.3. This is what, Jesus, or what God told Abraham. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And he who, he who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, God's not saying, I'm going to try really hard. He's not saying, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to see if I can make this happen. No. What does he say? He says, I will. And that's just what God does. He uses sinful and perfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. He brings blessings to all the people in the earth through Jesus. Look back at Matthew chapter 1. 
let's keep thinking about this idea of will. You know, after we read the heritage of Jesus, look at verse 21. An angel is talking to Joseph about Jesus, and what, is, what, is, what does he say? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See it again? He will save. Not maybe, not probably, not even most likely. He will. These words are trustworthy and true. God will bless. God will save. God will make everything new. He can't be diverted. He can't be thwarted. He can't be misdirected. He can't be conquered. He can't be discouraged. And he can't be overcome. He will see his mission and purposes through. He will not be stopped. In fact, it's the only agenda that will never come to an end. God is going to do his work in his way, and he's going to get the glory. So that's what this genealogy is about when we think about God. That's what it's, it's talking about. It's showing us that he's making all things new, and it's showing us that he can't be stopped. So what about you? Well, we can be encouraged, right? God is making all things new. That's great. But what about this idea that God can't be stopped? Let's just be honest. Let's, let's, let's get to the heart of it right now. God's going to work. And you know what? There's only two ways that he's going to work through you and me. Either he's going to work through you, or he's going to work in spite of you. And we see this over and over in this genealogy. Really, there's, there's no middle ground, folks. There's no middle ground. Every day we have the choice to either join God in his mission of making all things new, or we get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. And he's going to accomplish it anyway. So you're either in the game, or you're in the way. So what are you choosing? What are you choosing right now? Remember, there's only one agenda that will never come to an end. Just, just think about it, you guys. Isn't it easier to do what God wants than to fight Him? Pick any natural disaster you want, a tsunami, an earthquake, a tornado, a hurricane. It's easier to try and stop one of those than to try and stop what God is doing. So, so why do we do that? Come on. Stop, stop. Stop playing with sin. Just stop it. Stop flirting with the world. Stop living life under your own mission. Just, just stop it. It's, our, our, our mission is not going to be accomplished. The mission that's going to be accomplished is God's. So let's just join Him. I promise you it'll be better. I'm not promising it'll be easier, but I'm promising it'll be better. Just think about that. So that's the big picture of what God... Um, of who God is and what he's doing. He's making all things new and he can't be stopped. So you might as well join him. But now let's turn our, our attention to what this genealogy is actually telling us about the person of Jesus. Look again at verse 1. What do we learn about Jesus? Well, first we see his name and title, Jesus Christ. Well, to the first century reader, they would have known Jesus means Yahweh saves, God saves. And Christ means Messiah. The, Jesus was the anointed one. He was the one chosen who would bring hope for the future to God's people. He was the one who was promised by God who would rescue his people. 
and it would begin a righteous reign. So just by looking at the name and the title, Matthew is reminding people of who Jesus is. He's the means by which God will save his people. He is the promised one, the hope of Israel. But Matthew continues his description. Look, look for, back at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. These two descriptions are important. They're really important. Hang with me here. First of all, we see Jesus described as son of David. He's the son of David. It points to who Jesus is. He's the rightful heir to the throne of David. Jesus is the king. But it also points to what he's going to do. Throughout the book of Matthew, he is called son of David. When people are in dire physical need, or in dire spiritual need, son of David, have mercy on us. We're going to hear that all throughout the book. People are crying out to their king in need. Because Jesus is the king who will provide. And Jesus is the king who will protect. He is the ideal king of Israel. He will conquer their enemies. So Jesus again is the king who will provide and protect. Jesus' king really is an emphasis of this genealogy. It's important to see. He's set up as a king at the beginning. And the last verses of this point as well. The 14 generations, let's not get too caught up in that. It isn't meant to be an accurate count. It's meant to be a symbolic way to demonstrate the royal succession of the throne of David. So all of these folks in this genealogy were, had a rightful claim to the throne of David. That's what, that's what um, Matthew is trying to, to say. It starts with kingship and it ends with kingship. And look at the middle section, verses 6 through 11. I'm not going to catalog all of them, but... But beginning with King David, we see this actual succession of kings, both good and both bad. And what do they end up doing? Well, they try to provide and protect for the people, but they end up with all of Israel in exile. Now, Jesus, the real king, the rightful heir to the throne of David, he comes on the scene, and he's going to restore his people, and he will provide and protect for his people in everlasting ways. Jesus is king. But the description doesn't stop there. It goes on and it calls Jesus the son of Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3? I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make you, your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and in who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is great. You see what's happening not only is Jesus the king of Israel, but he would be the conduit by which the entire world would be blessed. What did he tell Abraham in Genesis 12, 3? And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And then here in this, this text, what do we see? God called Jesus the son of Abraham. And after Jesus fulfilled his mission on earth, what did he say at the end of this book in Matthew 28? Now go out to all the disciples and go out to all the nations and make disciples. Go take this blessing and go to the ends of the earth. And at the end of time, what do we see? In Revelation 7, 9, John sees this, this picture. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus is the answer to Genesis 12. He provides a way for all people to be blessed, and in the end, all the blessed people of the world will worship him. So this genealogy tells us that Jesus is the promised king. He protects and provides for his people, but he's also the promised blessing to the nations. And here's the great thing. You know how this applies to us? We get the whole package. We get the whole thing. In Romans eleven seventeen, we see what, what the Apostle Paul talks about us as Gentiles. And he says, you know what? He says, we're grafted in into the nation of Israel. And by, by so doing, we now share the nourishing root of the olive tree. So that means that Jesus is our Messiah. We are part of the people of God. We are under his authority. We are under protection of Christ the King. So he's our King. He protects and provides for us every day. So we get the blessing of the nations and we get the protection of the king. But there's some more things that this genealogy tells us about Jesus. Look at this list of people. Just look at it. These, these people are real. They walked on this earth. They lived. They breathed. They died. This genealogy tells us that Jesus is real. That he really did break into history. That he was here on this planet. That he was a human being who walked and talked and ate and slept and experienced the same things we do. Jesus is real. But Jesus is also one of us. This heritage of a king is littered with ordinary folk. In fact, the last third of the list, after the exile, the folks in verses 13 to 15, see those names? That's the only time they appear in Scripture. We don't know who they are. Just ordinary. Sure, they had a right to, the, to a claim to the throne, but there was no throne. They were ordinary folks living their lives. Jesus' family is filled with ordinary people. He's one of us. And through him, God's blessing is available to people everywhere. But more than that, his blessings are available to all types of people. Look at the genealogy again. Remember, this is the royal heritage of the king of kings. And what do we see? We see women. In that time, kings didn't put women in their genealogies. We see foreigners. Any king of any nation in his right mind would not have a foreigner in his genealogy. We see people who nobody knows. And we see all sorts of sinners. And at the end of it all, waiting right there is Jesus. What's this saying? It shows, that the, shows us that God's mission and blessing extend beyond what we could imagine. I like how one commentator puts it. He says this, God's grace in Jesus the Messiah reaches beyond Israel to the Gentiles, beyond men to women, beyond the self-righteous to sinners. In saving his people from their sins, God is not bound by race, gender, or scandal. But I think the Apostle Paul puts it even better in Galatians chapter 3. Look at this. 
chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So folks, Jesus is the son of Abraham. And now that we've been grafted in, we're the children of Abraham. We get to receive these same blessings. We get to receive the same protection from the king. Simply put, simply put, everyone everywhere, everyone everywhere is able to receive this blessing of God through Jesus the king who is real and one of us. That's what this genealogy teaches us about Jesus. But let's not stop there. This genealogy also speaks to us. First of all, this genealogy tells us that we've been given a great gift. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. You and I have the gift of salvation. Jesus came to pour this blessing out in the world. He lived and died in perfect obedience to God in order to provide this gift. We get it once, but like I said before, we get to open it every day. And as usual, Paul says it better than me at the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, what does he say? He said, talking about God's blessing, he blesses God back. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the gift we get in Jesus. We get all of the blessings in heaven. We have a great, great gift in Jesus. But we've also been given an identity. We've been given roots. Now I imagine if I would ask folks in here to, to, to trace out their family tree, probably most of us could get to a couple of great-grandparents. And I'm sure there's some scholars in here who could go all the way back and who get on those websites and, and can, can find all that stuff. But for most of us, we're, we're pretty disconnected from our past, right? Well, if you're a Christian, no matter what earthly family you come from, you've been adopted. This is your family. You have a new place to belong. I like how one of the commentators puts it. No matter what may be your pedigree or lack of pedigree, we all now have roots in the Messiah's line, which unites all Christians of whatever background, race, color, culture, or nationality in the promises of God. Well, welcome to the family. This is the family that will go on forever and ever and ever. And it's because of Jesus that we have roots. So we have a gift, we have an identity, we have roots. But now, let's talk about some stuff that is pretty real. Folks, we don't have any excuses. This genealogy um, doesn't let us off the hook. If we're part of God's family, we're part of his genealogy, we're part of that family tree, that means that we have a role to play. Now, we make, we make up excuses all the time. We, we all do it. And you know what I'm talking about. I really can't be part of what God is doing. I, I can't be part of his mission. I, you know, I'm disqualified. I can't. You know, my background, who I am, I, I, I don't... 
I don't come from the right place and I can't, I don't, can't say the right things, so I'm disqualified. Well, look at the genealogy. Look at somebody like Ruth. Or you think, my, my past, what I've done, I've done some things that if, if this room knew, nobody in here would talk to me. Maybe that's you. So I'm disqualified. Maybe that's what you're saying. Look at, look at, the, look at the two names that Jesus is first described as. The son of Abraham and the son of David. Or maybe you fall on the other side of things. And this is where I fall often. You know, I have the right heritage. I know the right people. I went to the right schools. I, I have all the right facts. I, I can opt out of God's mission of renewing my life and renewing the world, right? You know, I can do that. You know, you look at those kings in the middle of this set genealogy, and that's what they did. They rested on their title, but they didn't serve God and his mission. And they simply got in the way of God, what God was doing, and, and he did what he was going to do in spite of them. You know, I fell into this trap when I was younger. My grandfather in 1940 was, was martyred in Columbia, South America. And uh, I derived a lot of spiritual pride from that. You know, I could coast on that sacrifice. But I'll never forget a wise old man looking me in the eye and he said, God doesn't have grandchildren. You need to write your own story with God. I have my own part to play in this story. And so do you. So what are you doing? Are you in the game or are you in the way? Are you participating? Or are you seeking your own mission? So at the end of the day, just want to reiterate this point. It doesn't matter where we come from or what we've done. Our background and our past neither disqualifies us or frees us from fulfilling God's call in our lives to live out His mission. You're part of this family. You're part of this story. You have a part to play. And no matter what you do, you will be remembered for all eternity. You will be remembered. How do you want to go down? So this genealogy shows us a lot about God. It points to who Jesus is. And it speaks to us. We have a great gift. We've got a new family. And let's not make any excuses. Let's not make any excuses about being on God's mission. Let's not do that. Well, I started this, this message by talking about Thanksgiving weekend. And it still is. And I know we have a lot to be thankful for, but if you're looking for a few more things to consider, just remember what we just heard. You have a God who is in the business of making everything new. 
You have a God whose mission will never be stopped. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You are part of the only thing that will never, ever end. You have unimaginable blessings available through Jesus. You are blessed with every spiritual gift from heaven. You have a king. You are protected and you, your life is guarded. And you have a family that will last forever. Be thankful. And remember, no excuses. Join God in his mission to make all things new. Genealogies are good, aren't they? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he did, according to your plan, break into history. And Lord, thank you that it, because of your plan, we in this room, 2,000 years after this, this happened, we can celebrate and receive those blessings. We thank you that Jesus is real. And I pray just as he was real and walked the earth in those days, Father, I pray that he will be real and that he will tread on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.